So we are going to be all over the scripture tonight. The series is called It's Complicated. And so last week we talked about um, the spirit-filled family, and we got started a little bit with that. The rest of the series, we're kind of going along with special days that are showing up. So this coming Sunday is our day that we honor our graduating seniors and uh, including our own Dr. Gary McIntyre. Uh, Gary will be uh, pronounced a doctor at the ceremony on Cinco de Mayo in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. And so we're proud of Gary. We're proud of all of our graduates. Um, high school, grad school, seminary, uh, preschool, um, driver certification. We're proud of all of our graduates. But uh, where this fits into our family series is that I want to talk about transitions. Uh, the, the graduation of a child uh, in high school or college or uh, seminary or uh, retirement or empty nest or a job change or financial uh, change or relocation. All of these are, are, are life transitions and uh, we need to go to the scripture and figure out how we navigate transitions. So I'm going to sort of, uh, Brian uh, Smith is going to help me with the message this week. Uh, he's going to say a word of blessing uh, to uh, his uh, seniors and then uh, sort of introduce the message. And I'm going to pick up, but uh, the last thing we'll do Sunday is give you top 10 tips to navigate a transition. Oh, yeah. So going to be real practical on Sunday. But fortunately, because you're here on Wednesday, you get the whole backstory. So we'll be in Deuteronomy 1 through 3, Deuteronomy 31 through 34, Joshua 1 through 4, and a little bit of Ephesians. All right, so let's, uh, let's start in Ephesians, where, uh, where this fits into our family series. I told you that I would eventually get to women submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. Well, I'm going to do that next week on Mother's Day. Uh, and then the last message in our series will be about single adults. And, uh, and we all have a guest speaker that day, PJ Dunn, who has a, a ministry called Table for One. And uh, will help us understand. Uh, John, you got a, any other introduction about uh, him? He works for the Georgia Baptist Mission Board in their discipleship ministries. And uh, he will be there with us that Sunday just to talk about uh, God's design in our life and how it's not. Uh, uh, it's God's call on some people's lives. I don't know how else to say that. Yeah. So single adults, widowed adults, divorced adults. Um, we'll, we want to speak into that because certainly in a family series, it's complicated. <laughs> All right. So Ephesians 6, the passage there that speaks to uh, 
parents and children and transitions. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Verse 1, chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Uh, it's pretty much the only commandment with a promise. Uh, and the promise says, honor your mother and father so that you may live long. Um, and then uh, it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Brian and I were talking and he said, I want to tell parents that it's time to stop raising children and start raising children to be adults. To start raising children to be leaders as we raise our children. And those of us who are empty nesters look back and think about all the mistakes that we made. But, uh, and and I, I don't know that I would have done a lot differently had I heard that back then, but I would have looked at things like accountability and chores and hard choices, perhaps a little differently if I would have internalized the phrase, raise your children to be adults. And so when the scripture says, fathers do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and admonition or the training and instruction of the Lord. So that made me think about transitions. It made me think about how we um, we celebrate transitions. I, I was listening to a podcast this morning and reminded me of my seminary days. We are the only culture in the history of civilization not to have a rite of passage for our children. Western culture is the only culture in the history of culture not to have a, a, a formal or at least semi-formal uh, program where we teach kids to be adults. You know, the Eskimos would send them out in the woods with just a knife. And uh, African tribes would, would physically bury a child alive and then dig them up immediately to say, you're, you are dead to the old ways. You are dead to your childhood. The childhood is behind you. Now learn to walk as an adult. There are rituals and practices and mentoring. And somehow in this country, and one person suggested that in 1990, that's when the, somehow the, the, the switch flipped and we began to leave kids to do it on their own to try to figure it out on their own. We, uh, of course, that was when the internet was emerging. And so we, we have taught them to learn about sexuality on the internet, to learn about uh, um, uh, the rites of passage from their friends or from their schools or from the neighborhood or from uh, social media. Um, one writer said it this way. He said that, if I was married and all of a sudden my wife started acting differently, she locked herself in the room. She slammed doors. She was no longer uh, civil in her conversation with me. She uh, uh, began to use words that we never use in the home. Well, if, 
if I was a spouse and all that was happening, I would assume one thing. Uh, she was unfaithful to me. And this, this writer said, that's kind of what's happened with our kids. They're having an affair with their peers. They, they, they have left their faithfulness to us as parents, even though we mean the best. And they're having an affair with their peers. They're taking their, their cues from their new lover, so to speak. And, and I, I realized that it's a, an illustration that I would never use in church on a Sunday morning, but it, it speaks to the idea that somehow we haven't guarded this transition. Now, guard the transitions is one of the cliches that we use around the office here. It's one of the, <clears throat> there are about four or five sayings that I repeat all the time with the staff. And you heard one of them last week, language shapes culture. All things in the light guard the transitions, and in the in the office we mean that that we've got to make sure the handoff between nursery and toddlers is intentional. We we want to make sure that that we look at each child and developmentally is is that handoff going smoothly. The handoff between the nursery and the preschool, between the preschool and the children's ministry, the children's ministry and the middle school ministry, middle school to high school, high school to college, college to young adults, young adults to transition to middle and senior adults. Are, are we handling those transitions well? Because the Bible teaches us to, to handle transitions well. Uh, the Bible is full of of instruction about transitions. And so when we talk about uh, transitions, Nancy, you might, oh, Gary, pull that door. I don't know why the choir started back up, but they did. Um, so, so this Sunday is about guarding the transitions. And we'll be a little bit in Ephesians, but then we're going to go over to Deuteronomy, where one of the most detailed transitions in the scripture is when Moses handed off leadership to Joshua. There's a lot of backstory there. Does anybody know what the book of Deuteronomy is about? The second giving of the law. The law. All right. Second law, Deuteronomy. That's, that's what the word means. But really, it's sort of a, a recap. It's, uh, it's like the box score in a ball game. You look back and you can see what happened. Deuteronomy is just a series of speeches by Moses. Uh, there's, there's really not much new narrative. There's a little bit, but, but, but after numbers, there's just not a lot of new content. Uh, all of Deuteronomy is about the speeches that Moses gave in the last several months of his life. So they are at the end of their wilderness wandering. Um, if you're in here, I gave you a, a map that has a, a timeline on it, on the top of it. If you're at home, the timeline simply says that somewhere around 1446 BC was the exodus from Egypt. Somewhere around 1408, BC is where we are here. And then around 1406 BC, Israel enters the promised land. 
So that, that sort of frames the timeline. And if you're looking at a map, you'll, you look all the way at the southern end of the map and you see the, the Red Sea. Well, Egypt would be directly west from there. The, west, the Red Sea is the eastern border of, of Egypt. And you probably know that Israel and Egypt share a border. And if you were to look at the left corner of the map that the Bible gives you and sort of draw an angled line down to the Red Sea, that's roughly the border of Egypt. Uh, well, actually, on the map that I gave you, if you see where Gaza is, on the Mediterranean Sea to the left or the west side of the map. Uh, the Gaza Strip is the little strip of land between Israel and Egypt. It's, it's controlled by Israel. But uh, the, uh, so Gaza is very close to the Egyptian border on the western edge of Israel. And then the Egyptian border uh, angles down to um, Elath, which is the northern end of the Red Sea, and that's the southernmost uh, point in Israel today. That's one of the three border crossings between Israel and Jordan. There's one there. Uh, there's one um, just uh, south of the, uh, just north of the Dead Sea, and then there's one farther north, uh, just south of Syria. But uh, what I wanted you to see the map is that uh, it, it's only a 14-day trip from Egypt to Canaan. If you, if you take a caravan, even with 3 million people, which is what they estimate was, was wow. making this migration, it's only a, a two-week, three-week trip. But because of their disobedience, they wandered all around uh, the promised land. Essentially, they wandered literally around the promised land because they they entered uh, and and then went south and then ended up going north up on the eastern side of Canaan through what is now Jordan. So, everybody with me on that? Uh, I loved Ravi Zacharias's quote about. Sin, when I think about the promised land, sin will always take you farther than you ever wanted to go, keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. <laughs> and the, the sin of the, the leaders and then the people of Israel turned a three-week trip into a 40-year journey. And what had to happen before they were allowed to enter the promised land? What has to happen for sin to be atoned? A generation has to die. Well, one man has to die. Death is necessary for the atonement of sin. And he, he caused an entire generation to die before he would let them inherit their promise. For us, he caused one man to die so that we could inherit our promise. Don't, don't miss the metaphor of the, the Exodus and everything that we're talking about today. So Deuteronomy 
Chapters one through three are mirrored in chapters 34, 31 through 34. So they're bookends in Deuteronomy. If you look at the first uh, three chapters of um, Deuteronomy, you learn that Moses is giving his final speeches and they kind of come to a, a head at the very end of chapter three, beginning in verse 21, where he says, at that time, I commanded Joshua, you have seen with your own eyes that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. In other words, had, had already defeated two kings on their way to the promised land. He says, the Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you're going. Do not be afraid. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. Well, you remember that Joshua knew this intuitively. How? Why did Joshua already know this? All right. You remember that Joshua was, was one of 12 people who went to in Numbers chapter, what, 13? He spied out the promised land. Yeah. So he, he'd already been into the promised land. He'd already seen what the Lord had promised. And he and Caleb alone among the 12 spies had said, we believe that God will give it to us. And because of that, he was the, the oldest dude in the promised land because everybody in his generation was who had to die in order for the time to be right to enter the promised land. So, so throughout Numbers, throughout Deuteronomy, this discussion of transition has taken place. This, this discussion of, of a generation has to give over to another generation. So with that in mind, uh, a few highlights in Deuteronomy chapter 3 and 4 and 6 and then we'll dive back into the end of the book. Verse 23, chapter 3. Uh, I pleaded with the Lord, Moses said. Sovereign Lord, you've begun to show your servant your greatness, your strong hand. Basically, he says, I'm finally getting it. I, I'm, I'm the, the fog is lifting. The cataracts are coming off my eyes. Uh, you are great. You are mighty. Verse 25. Let me go over and see the good land. Let me go. Lord, forgive me for something. We'll figure out what that something is in just a minute. Forgive me. Let me go. I, I know you said I can't, but would you change your mind? Lord said, this is enough. Verse 26. Do not speak to me anymore about this matter. Golly, what a soul crushing statement. Alan, I've, I already told you that the consequences for your sin are, are going to unfold. Don't talk to me about this anymore. You need to learn this lesson. The people need to learn this lesson from you. And I'm just going, as a leader, I, I, I get it. We have to guard the transitions. And part of guarding the transitions is to guard our testimony. And Moses didn't guard his testimony. Anybody remember what he did 
to disqualify himself from the promised land. So the first time the people cried out for water in the wilderness, he was instructed to strike the rock and the water would flow out of the rock. And he did what he was told to do. The next time that there was drought and they grumbled for lack of water, God told him to speak to the rock. Instead, he as a leader, he went with what had worked before and not what God was telling him to do brand new. And he struck the rock again. Instead of following God's instructions, water came out of the rock. But I want to read to you uh, something that somebody said about that. Um, It said in in striking the rock, and I'm reading a, a commentary. In striking the rock, worst of all, Moses defaced a beautiful picture of Jesus's redemptive work through the rock that provided water in the wilderness. The New Testament makes it clear that this water-producing, life-giving rock was a picture of Jesus. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It compares that rock to Christ. Jesus, being struck once, provided life for all who would drink of him, John 7, 37. But it was unnecessary and unrighteous that Jesus would be struck again, much less twice, because the Son of God needed to suffer only once, Hebrews chapter 10. I'd never made that connection, folks. I'd never made the connection that Part of the reason that Moses was disqualified from the promised land is that he offended the gospel. And Paul caught it in 1 Corinthians 10. John caught it in John chapter 7. The writer of Hebrews caught it in Hebrews chapter 10. That striking the rock instead of speaking to the rock was the equivalent of saying, God, your plan is not good enough. And this writer says it's only right that he was disqualified from the promised land because he offended the gospel. I was stunned by that that thought. Um, So Deuteronomy chapter 3 tells us that God has said, verse 28, but commission Joshua, encourage him. Strengthen him, for he will lead the people. Then in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, he gives us a little bit of detail. He says, you who are guiding another generation, be careful. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your hearts. Now, I've underlined this phrase in my Bible. Teach them to your children and your children's children. This Sunday in uh, the 11 o'clock service, they'll sing the song, uh, The Blessing. And a part of that lyric says, 
to your children and their children and their children and their children to a thousand generations. That's what Moses was trying to communicate. We guard the transitions, not just for our children, but to their children. We're, we're training our children to be adults so that they can train their children to be adults, so that they can train their children to be adults. I joke that my father was 30 when I was born. I was 30 when Aaron was born. Aaron was 30 when his son was born. I'll never live to see great-grandchildren unless I make it to 90, which is unlikely. Only the good die young, right? <laughs> then I'll probably make it 120. So the, the, I, I won't be there to teach my great-grandchildren to throw a ball, to love God, love people. I, I won't be there for that. And so, so for my great-grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren, one of the greatest pictures I have is my, my mother holding Reed, her great-grandson. But we're not guaranteed that. So the only way we pass the, the things to the next generation and the next generation is that we guard the transitions. That's what this Sunday is about. <clears throat> it says, teach them to your children and your children after them. A few lines later, assemble the people before me. Hear my words so that they may teach them to their children. Turn the page over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. After the famous verse in chapter 4, Hear, O Israel. And we know that the translation of Hear, Israel is the, the word Shema, the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord your God is one. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. You shall love God, love people, make disciples, make a difference. Well, look what he says. These commandments, verse 6, that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses. In the future, when your son, verse 20, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord has commanded you? Tell them, we are slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Turn the page. Look over to Joshua chapter uh, 4. Joshua chapter 4. Gary, I need you to do this part. I need to go get a phone call real quick. That was one I've been waiting for to see. Joshua Chapter 4, we're going to come back to it, but look at Joshua chapter 4, verse 6. Joshua 4, verse 6, and I will be right back. Hi. <laughs> All right, so I just got called up from the bullpen. Um, <laughs> we've got Hope you I did not. <laughs> Chapter four, verse six, I think. It is, yeah. I'm doing a. Uh, what I normally do in this kind of situation is I, I'm looking at the verse, but I'm going to look at the verses before and after, oh, kind of okay. get an idea of the context uh, to see what's going on here. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, that when they when they pass through and they're preparing to enter into the promised land, uh, and they set up the memorial stones, and 
uh, it's a, a reminder of this is who we are, this is what we've been, and this is who's brought us this far. Uh, so later on, it does say something about telling when your children ask. Yeah, that is verse six that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Uh, let's see, does verse 8 tie into what he was wanting to talk about here? Yeah, and they did exactly what they told him to do. It's a memorial thing. You know what? I wish I had his notes. Oh, guess what I have? I have his notes. <laughs> All right, let's see if I can figure out where he was on this thing. <laughs> he did a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah but nice. you know what? <laughs> this good. is the last night, so we don't care. Um, We're not going to remember. Well, we might remember this. Well, I thought about those stones a lot, but what happened to them? Because there's nothing said about that they did anything with them beyond that or anything. I mean, we had a brilliant conversation while you were gone. I mean, it was like they were salvation. Certain people got, yeah, okay. Yeah. I want to know where the stones are. The yeah, morning. that's what Bill was asking. What happened? I want to know if there's 12 of them or 24 of them. Right. Yeah. I just said 12 men. Well, 12 tribes. Well, it says they took 12 off the land, 12 out of the middle of the river and took them to the land, and 12 off the land and took them to the middle of the river. So they did a stone exchange. Where is that? Well, it's it's uh, it's kind of cryptic. Yeah. Two. All right, you finding that at home? Look at eight and nine uh, in Joshua chapter four. Here's what I think happened. And um, I think that this whole thing was a setup for the future. That when a Hebrew father was on a little road trip with his kids, that they'd see that odd-looking little altar made up of 12 stones worn smooth by the river. And the scripture there says, when your son asks, not if, when your son asks, dad, that is one odd looking thing there. What is that about? Ah, son, let me tell you what happened right here. I wasn't here. My dad was here. I, and, and he told me, he brought me to this very spot and he told me, why there are 12 smooth river rocks piled up into an altar here at Gilgal. And son, let me tell you a secret. If the Jordan River over there dries up a little bit, if the water level gets real low, you can see 12 more rocks that don't belong in the middle of the river because 12 men carried them on their shoulders and dropped them there when that riverbed was just as dry as a bone. Guard the transition. It's about, it's about our sons. It's about letting them hear the stories. It's about letting them come down the stairs and go, Dad, why are you always reading your Bible? 
Not, okay, kids, I got to take you all to church. But mom and I are going to church. And y'all come with us. We're, we're doing this together. We're sharing the stories. This, this is a story that, that I can't wait to hear again. Well, Dad, you've heard it a gazillion times. I can't wait to hear it again. That's what these stones are for. When your son asks, tell him. So go to the end of Deuteronomy, all the way over in chapter 31. Now Moses has given speeches for 30 some odd chapters. And in chapter 31, verse 1, then Moses went out and spoke these words to all of Israel. He says, I'm now 120 years old. I'm tired. <laughs> he says, and I'm no longer able to leave. The Lord spoke to me about 30 chapters ago. <laughs> and he said, don't bring this up again. So he says, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord, your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy those nations. You will take possession. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you. And the Lord will do to them what he's done to these other kings. Verse 7. Well, verse 5. The Lord will deliver them to you and you must do to them all that I've commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Remember that phrase. Be strong and courageous. <clears throat> Then Moses summoned Joshua and he said, God just told me to tell you to be strong and courageous. For you must go with this people into the land. Um, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. So Joshua is being commissioned by Moses publicly. It's like when those graduating seniors walk across the stage on Sunday, when we dedicate a baby in front of the whole church, when we baptize people. These are transitions. When we do marriages, uh, funerals, these are, these are transitions. And, and I, I want Dunwoody Baptist Church to be known as a church that, that guards the transitions. We want to do them well. We, we want people to say, I, that, that's the kind of funeral I want because the gospel is shared. I, that's the kind of marriage I want because it wasn't just fluff. It was, it was a worship service. Those, those babies, we, we just promised we'd help those parents raise those kids. Baptism. We had 17 people went in the water over on Easter Sunday. And we as a church going to stand by those people, guard the transitions. So those graduating seniors walk across the stage. I'm Gary McIntyre. I'm graduating from Liberty University. My parents are so-and-so and so-and-so. -and -so. Well, we're, we're, we're trying to help them understand that probation is, is over. They're, they are launching into the world. Ogmandino said, we are not human beings. We are humans becoming. We are not human beings. We are humans becoming. The, 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 the water and river never is in the same place twice. 
And we are helping students to understand that we expect some things out of them. We, we hope that they've internalized the lessons. When they come back to Dunwoody Baptist Church, we hope that, that they bring their kids and they say, that's where I was in student ministry. That's where I learned. That's where I was baptized. That's where, when I go to Pine Lake Baptist Church, that's where I was discipled. That's where they, they, they told me that I was called to ministry before I ever even thought I was. And that's, we guard the transitions. Look in the upper right-hand corner of the map that I gave you up here at home. Look in the upper right-hand corner of the map. <clears throat> if I, I don't know if your map has it, but if you find Jerusalem and then you go east across the Jordan River, about the same distance from the Jordan to the east as Jerusalem is from the west, you see Mount Nebo. Well, Mount Nebo is where God told Moses to go and die. Uh, our group that went to um, Israel the last time, we stood on Mount Nebo. And we looked into Israel, and you can see a whole lot of it. You're a long way from it, but you can see a whole lot of it. And just goosebumps. We had had cloudy, rainy, nasty weather the whole time. And when we got on top of Mount Nebo, the clouds broke and the sun came out and we could see as far as anybody could see. Had it been cloudy, we wouldn't have been able to, like Moses, look into the promised land. But God gave us that little wink while we were there. So now it's time for Joshua to take the reins. Anybody remember when your mom used to say something multiple times? <laughs> or when you as a mom had to say something multiple times? What was that usually a signal of? You meant it. You meant it? <laughs> you needed to be reminded of that. You look at Joshua chapter uh, 1. Joshua chapter 1. Look at verse 6. He's quoting Moses. Now Joshua is speaking to the people. And he's quoting Moses. Moses told me to be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. <clears throat> Verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Verse 18, Moses said, whoever rebels against your word and do not obey, he would be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Apparently, Moses kept telling him to be strong and courageous. And my guess is that he wasn't. Now, this is the same guy that boldly said, I've been into the promised land. The giants are there, but we can take them. The Lord promised them. It's not that, that Joshua is a coward. To me, I think he feels the, the weight of leadership. He feels the weight of having been handed the baton. He feels, he, he wants to, but this is what Moses said. This is what Moses said. And I, I think about all the times that I said, this is what my daddy told me to do. 
And I hope my son, this is what my daddy told me to do. And I hope his son, this is what my daddy told me to do. Because when, when we get into a place where now the transition is, is in place, then all we know how to do is imitate the one who went before us. Now, obviously, Joshua is being taught to imitate God. Moses went out of the way to say, God is going before you. God is going across the river. God is going before you. But he keeps quoting Moses. He keeps quoting his mentor. He keeps quoting the one who showed him for good or bad. And that's what mentors do. If you are a, a marriage mentor couple and you pretend like you never fight, you're doing a great disservice to a young couple that you're mentoring because they need to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Joshua saw the good, the bad, and the ugly. Anybody want to whistle? There you go. Thank you for that. So we get the, the idea that the transition is in place. Moses's point of view, he's bitterly disappointed that he doesn't get to go be the helicopter prophet. <laughs> and when we let those kids walk across the stage, we got to let them go. We, we got to let them go. And when we baptize, we, we have led them to a public identification of their faith. Now they have to be discipled. Do we have to help put people in their lives? Yes. That's why we brought John on board. Creating structures to... So that, so that we're guarding the transition from baby Christian being baptized to mature Christian who then disciples others. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. So we're guarding the transitions. And while the story that we looked at tonight is about transition of leadership, the lessons are the same in our families. Guard the transitions. Uh, Brian will make the point uh, Sunday morning. Don't ever forget the lessons you learned on the other side of the river. We guard the transitions. We, we remember the past. We honor the past. We honor those who have gone before them. We, we teach our kids to glean the wisdom of the elders. At the same time, we, we got to build some memorials to remind ourselves that that transition took place. Um, we we got to remember that Transitions are individual. Uh, I, I think about the way that Jesus spoke to his disciples and how the, the way that he handled Peter's restoration was not the same as the way he handled Thomas's doubts. And then if you have multiple kids, kid one, kid two, and kid three, you, you don't get to just open a package and deliver the same thing to all three that we we have to customize the transition we have to individualize the transitions guard the transitions and so when we are are getting into the scripture on sunday obviously i won't have time to do the depth that i've i've done tonight but the background is is there throughout the scripture but especially in deuteronomy he is teaching us how to hand off these things to our children and their children and their children. And Joshua, in Joshua chapter 4, uh, verse 6, he said, this is what I heard Moses say. When your children ask, 
tell them. When your sons ask about this moment, tell them. Moses said, when your kids ask, tell them. When you live in such a way that you create a holy curiosity, that's the way you parents guard the transitions. The holy curiosity leads to questions. Why do we always go to feed the homeless on Thanksgiving? Because God taught us to serve. Why do we always go to church? Because God taught us to worship. Why do we tithe? Because God taught us to give. Why do we share this story? Because God said it's too important for us to keep it to ourselves. When your children ask about your habits, your practice, be strong and courageous. Parents don't feel like they've got what it takes. I don't. Uh, Judy and I've been married 39 years. Our kids are 33 and 30. And I still look back and think about the things I wish I'd have done differently. Nothing's changed. Nothing will change. Can't get them to listen. <laughs> I think we can make some changes that make good habits. I, I look back and, and there's some things that I, I'd like to have over again. And so maybe if I say to those uh, young parents who are willing to listen, these things are important. So here's some things I did right. Here's some things I did wrong. Guard the transitions in our finances, in our graduations, in our baptisms, in our empty nesting. Judy and I are, are, are empty nesting, and we're, we're trying to figure out what that looks like so that we can guard that transition so that our children can see that we didn't quit early, that we, we, we kept on running until the end of the race. I want my kids to see that. I saw it in my parents, and I want them to see what we saw and their children and their children's children and their children and their children and their children, and their children to a thousand generations guard the transitions. All right. As I said in seminary, I'm not finished, but I quit. <laughs> Unless this become a semester, um, spend some time in Deuteronomy. Uh, it's not one that usually makes the, the Hallmark cards, but it's a, it's a fascinating uh, book to read with the knowledge that it's sort of like the, the last speeches of a great prophet. On Sunday, I'll talk about Joseph to Moses to Joshua. Oh, okay. And you think about the transition between Joseph and Joshua, Joseph and Moses, that in those 400 years, the people completely forgot what it was like to be people of promise. And they went from people of promise to slaves in 400 years. And it was up to Moses to recover them as people of promise. The transition from Moses to Joshua was to teach them how to be people of promise, just like I. And we don't want 400 years of lost before God reclaims it. We want to guard the transition to real time. All right. So I will see you on Sunday. See you guys. Great, great study. We'll see you then.